What's good, super friends? It's your Tio Pepe from the mean streets of Sunland Park. We've had a few people ask how they could support us and when we're going to set up a Patreon. We've heard all two of you and decided to set one up. Subscriptions suck. Everyone's got subscription fatigue, so we're making ours like I like my women. Sweet, easy, and cheap. It's only $2. That's less than a pack of cigarettes or a coffee at Starbucks. For $2, you'll get our episodes a week early and we'll send you stickers a few times a year. In fact, our first one's already done and it looks super tight. Eventually, we'll add more perks. Link is in the show notes or check us out on patreon.com slash technically a conversation. Trigger warning. This episode includes the topics of child abuse, sexual abuse, suicide, and magical thinking. Listener discretion is advised. Anyone who grew up in the 80s remembers the satanic panic as a phenomenon that couldn't be escaped. The news and talk shows were constantly covering new allegations and investigations into satanic cult rituals, as well as stories of victims and the accused. Everything from music, corporations, cartoons, and toys were in league with Satan. But did you know that the whole spectacle could be traced back to two people and one book? Today, we'll be discussing Michelle Remembers, the book that kicked off the satanic panic, as well as the infamous therapy sessions that inspired it, some of the abuse and rituals that allegedly happened, and some of the real victims of this cultural craze. Also, we'll touch on the film Satan Wants You, which documented all this insanity on this episode of Technically a Conversation. You're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Elena. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Doing great also. Always look forward to our monthly recording sessions. As do I, minus all the technical, uh, what's it called? Not errors, but the technical difficulties. Yes, difficulties. I'm like, I can't even think anymore. <laughs> I know. It's been super frustrating. <laughs> but besides that, I look forward to it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for reals. Uh, we're recording towards the end of September, so it's finally starting to get cooler, but it still doesn't feel like autumn. I'm looking forward to hoodie weather already. You know what? Me too. I love wearing hoodies at work because it's lazy, but easy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's super comfortable. That's usually when I feel like the most comfortable when I'm just kicking back with a hoodie on. Yeah, I agree. Can't wait for hoodie weather. Although, you know what? At my job, it's always really cold. So I usually have a sweater and a mini heater on. Well, since I've been working from home for the past three years, since I don't want my um, my electricity bill to curb stop me when I receive it, I normally don't put it that cold. But um, I'm looking forward to it finally being cooler. Yeah, me too. Well, being that the internet is not our friend today, enough fucking around, Elena. Ready to get started? All right, ready. Great, let's get started. Elena, have you ever worshipped the devil before? I have not. Oh, okay. Have you ever sacrificed <laughs> an animal or a small child? Not that I can remember, no. I can't recall a time that I have. Have you ever attended a satanic cult ritual? Also, not that I can recollect. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to attend one? 
No, not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, I don't know if I was part of some kind of ritual and, and I just didn't know about it. I don't know. <laughs> well, you might not be alone. Uh-oh. The following is from a Mental Floss article by Jake Rawson, a New York Times article by Alan Yuhas, and CBC article by Joseph Pugh. Link in the show notes. In 1980, psychiatrist Dr. Lawrence Pastor and his patient Michelle Smith released a book called Michelle Remembers, in which they recount over 600 hours of therapy where Michelle details long repressed memories of being a victim in a satanic cult as a child. Michelle recalls numerous accounts of being tortured, witnessing and participating in sexual orgies, human and animal sacrifices, bodily mutilations, and other demonic rituals. As word of this secret satanic cult she was a victim of spread, others came forth with similar experiences and more claims and accusations all over the U.S. and Canada were made. Everyone from McDonald's to Procter & Gamble were implicated in addition to schools and daycares. Stories related to satanic cults and rituals filled our talk shows and nightly news. Heavy metal bands and the satanic church were accused of inspiring and promoting satanic rituals. Hundreds of people were charged with satanic crimes and millions of dollars were spent investigating these claims. And it all started with two people and one book. Let's examine the 80 satanic panic and the decade-long stranglehold it had on our society. But first, Elena, are you familiar with the 80 satanic panic and the book Michelle Remembers? I am familiar with satanic panic and I am not familiar with that book. Great. We're going to go over all of that. I don't know if you remember this, Elena, but ever since I was a little kid, I've always been a huge fan of heavy metal. Yes. Of course I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. Maybe you repress those memories. I've gone to so many concerts (laughs) with you. I mean, come on, give me a break. (laughs) One thing that's very common in metal is satanic imagery in addition to other elements of the occult, like magic, horror, fantasy. And it's easy to see why that's appealing, especially to a little kid like me who grew up in a conservative household and was forced to go to Catholic schools. There's a certain attraction to things that you don't know anything about, especially if it's kind of scary or it seems like it's wrong. It's kind of like seeing a train wreck or an accident on the highway. You know you shouldn't look, but a part of you won't let you look away. That's right. I think you and I growing up in conservative Catholic households and being sheltered from so much made us ripe to be interested in all this crazy shit, whether it was music, movies, books, just a curiosity of what else was out there. Yeah, I think you have a point. And growing up in those same households, I think, always made us hyper aware of Satan and evil and all of that shit. And I remember always getting shit about my long hair and my t-shirts and always dressing in black and the music I listened to. I don't know if you remember this. I think you were more of a normie at that time and weren't to your own shit. Um, I wouldn't say that I was a normie or, I mean, I was into my own shit, but I've always liked metal also because of you. I just didn't dress the part. And now, um, I mean, I just dress in black because it's slimming. (laughs) (laughs) But the way I dress has definitely evolved and changed and I wear more like band tees and stuff and I think I proclaim more my love of metal. I mean, but my metal is more of the older school metal than yours. And especially like the 80s rock bands, those are my favorite. But like I always tend to gravitate towards the older stuff like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Metallica, but like their old stuff because it reminds me 
of hearing that music with you, you know? Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and see, whenever I think of like Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or all that shit, that reminds me of you because that's what you were into when we were kids. Not NSYNC. I'm sorry. I'm a Backstreet fan all the way. Oh, well, I, I think NSYNC was the better one of those. No. And I think they're they're getting back together or something. They're having a reunion. Yeah, I saw that they came out in the VMAs and everybody made a big old deal. And it's like, eh, took them forever just to get them all together. I think, um, what's that guy's name? Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's, I, I mean, because he's always been popular. Even after NSYNC, you know, he branched out and he did his own thing. And I actually do like Justin Timberlake as a solo artist, but not so much when he was part of the NSYNC band, which is weird and funny. but. You know, back then it was feuding boy bands, or at least that's the way that we saw it. And so you were either part of the Backstreet group or the NSYNC group. And Backstreet came out first. They were the originals. I mean, in our eyes, because we're not taking into account New Kids on the Block or all the other boy bands. But yeah, that that was the way we saw it in high school, at least. Mm. So it was like the Bloods and the Crips or like some other like gang thing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but you got to admit, Justin Timberlake, he had like that Maruchan hair. So it was like the best hair, I think. <laughs> Wakala Maruchan hair. Why would you want to have that on your head? Somebody dumped a, a cup of noodles on your head? I don't know. That's what, what his hair always reminded me of. Like like it was Maruchan. <laughs> Wakala. No, he looks way better now. <laughs> I have no idea what he looks like now. But let's get back to the 80s satanic panic. Yes. Now, in order to understand why the 80s was a satanic panic coming out party, we need to look at the 60s and 70s and examine some of the events that primed the general public into thinking that Satanism and ritualized evil were normal. One of the first events were the nine Charles Manson murders that happened in 1969. This was one of the first times cult-like evil behavior was in the public eye and people started to become familiar with the occult. In 1971, William Peter Blatty became a best-selling author with his book, The Exorcist, which Blatty claimed was inspired by a real exorcism. Which we already know did not happen. I was going to get to that. But that best-selling book <laughs> was followed by William Friedkin's blockbuster film and masterpiece, The Exorcist in 1973. Oh my God, have you seen the, the previews for the brand new Exorcist? I did, but mainly because I heard the commotion about them having to change the date because um, I think they wanted it to come out on a Friday the 13th, but that's the day that Taylor Swift, Isela's Idol, is releasing her um, concert video or a concert movie or some shit. So they didn't want to compete with Tay-Tay, so they had to change the date. Ay, ay. <laughs> oh my goodness, wow. Ah, I guess you can't compete with that Tay-Tay. You can't. And that was actually when I first heard about it. I was like, oh shit, they're coming out with another Exorcist movie? Yeah, we watched the preview the other day and it looks pretty badass. Honestly, if it wasn't for Taylor Swift, I probably would not have heard of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're keeping up with the Taylor Swift news? <laughs> uh, no, not necessarily. Like, I mean, I like like maybe like one or two of her songs. Like I like that Party in the USA. Logo. I like the um, no. Shake It. No. Not Shake It Off. That's Miley Cyrus. Is it Shake It Off? No, no, it's the one that goes, haters gonna hate, or something like that. No, but The Party in the USA is a Miley Cyrus song. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I guess I like one 
Taylor Swift song then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry, Tay Tay. Well, I'm sure I'll probably like more if I listen to her, but I remember hearing some of her stuff when she was more country. And I want to say that I liked that better than the stuff that I've heard now that she's more pop or whatever. Yeah, like more mainstream or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But um, I'm not a huge, huge pop fan. Like there's only certain pop people that I can say that I really like. But going back to what you were alluding to earlier, if you do want to hear the true story of the exorcism that inspired the Exorcist book and movie, check out our May 1st episode titled The Exorcism of Ronald Hunkeller. And researching that topic blew my mind. Do you remember that episode, Elena? I mean, obviously, right? Since you just brought it up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I was like, of course, I just mentioned it. <laughs> it was a good one. I know I was like super surprised to hear that it was all a lie and that that, well, I don't want to give it away. I, I want people to watch. I mean, no, not watch, listen to the episode. You can watch the cover art as you listen to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think that was the sixth episode that you were on and the fourth as a co-host. Wow, I didn't even know those stats. I added all the episodes, so like I have, <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have like encyclopedic knowledge of our episodes, I feel, just because I listen to them over and over again. Right. Oh, makes for an interesting conversation if you ever run out of topics. Yeah, I'm sure that's something that uh, <laughs> girls want to hear on their first date, right? It's like, did you know that the exorcism was based on another exorcism that wasn't even true? Uh, yeah, if she's a cool girl, she'll want to hear that. If she if she doesn't want to hear that, then then dump her, kick her to the curb. <laughs> she's warring. Maybe, or maybe she just has different interests. But speaking of the Exorcist, did you ever watch the OG Exorcist movie? Um, yes, we went to see it together at the Plaza Theater. I don't know if you remember that. I was with you guys. It was just you and I. It maybe Poncho, but I remember it being just you and I. When they re-released it, the original version that supposedly made people faint and whatever, the very first time it came around, they re-released the original version and they played it at the Plaza Theater and you and I went to go watch it. And then I remember when we saw that spider walk thing, we were like, oh, what the? <laughs> and then we left We left the theater feeling like we had been, um, what was the word you used? Like that you had just been violated or something <laughs> i think I, see, I said something worse but uh yeah you did but that, that was a long time ago so i probably <laughs> will not repeat verbatim what i said but yeah it, it uh it pretty much amounted to yeah feeling violated yeah it was really something watching it the first time around i mean i know i've seen it after that um after the fact and it doesn't have the same effect but definitely watching it the very first time around it was pretty freaky I don't think I was there because I do remember seeing it at the movie theater, but I just saw it at a regular movie theater when they re-released it. I think the only time I've ever been to the plaza was to watch Star Wars when they when they re-released it. No, we went together. I know you and I went together to watch that one. Maybe it's a false memory. Yeah, maybe it's a false <laughs> memory or maybe I'm just old and I don't remember anymore. Yeah. No, I, I do remember that. It's a core memory of mine. Aye, aye. <laughs> it's one of your defining memories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that memory is your personality. <laughs> yes. I remember watching that movie with you, and I remember watching Blair Witch with you. Like, those are the two movies that stick out in my mind that we watched together and feeling like we were both violated in each movie. 
Blair Witch for sure. Yeah. I think I was even like shaking or something because <laughs> when when we saw it, that's back when we didn't know that it was it was just a movie. Like we, we thought it was an actual real thing that happened. Yeah, exactly. It was scary. Yeah, it, it was super scary. And just thinking like, oh my God, this really happened. But then when we found out later that it was just a movie, like it was like a mockumentary or, or whatever they called it. I was like, ah, it wasn't even that good. But just going in there <laughs> thinking that it was real, it made it really scary. Yeah, it definitely did. They did a good job. And then the fact that they got a bunch of actors that, you know, they've never done anything else, or at least that I know of, helped play that part too. So yeah, for sure. In 1976, we were treated to Richard Donner's classic masterpiece, The Omen, which came out two years before he released Superman with Christopher Reeve playing the man of tomorrow for the first time on the big screen. In 1979, we got Stuart Rosenberg's The Amityville Horror, which also starred Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane in Richard Donner's 1978 classic, Superman. To hear us talk all about Superman, check out our June 6th 2022 episode about the Man of Steel. Sorry, I'll stop referring to our past episodes, but I had read that Gen Z kids love it when podcasts make references to past episodes, so it's trying to be hip with the kids. Hey, I do that too. I make uh, references to past episodes, and I didn't know that Gen Z kids like that, so there you go. Yeah, I heard that, that they love it when podcasts reference themselves, so I was like, huh, we should start doing that more. There you go. Did you ever watch Richard Donner's The Omen or Stuart Rosenberg's The Amityville Horror? Yes, I've watched both. I'm a huge horror movie fan, so it'd be a shame if I hadn't. What were your opinions on those movies? Um, I would say that when I first watched them, they freaked me out. It was when I still believed in all that stuff. Now that I've gotten older and I'm more of a skeptic, it doesn't have the same effect, obviously. But I know the Amityville horror one was pretty... I, I, I really enjoyed that one because... I know it was based on on actual events or loosely based on true events or whatever. And that the Amityville horror movie, I mean, not the movie, but the the house still stands and people will go and visit it. And the people who have lived there afterwards claim that things still happen around the house. That I don't believe in. But, you know, when I first watched both of them, I, I really enjoyed them. Yeah, the whole Amityville horror thing actually ended up becoming a hoax. Oh, because of Ed Lorraine and all that shit, right? Well, those guys were fraudsters for sure. But no, they, they didn't have anything to do with it. I mean, that would probably be a good topic to do a, a podcast episode on. But yeah, it was just pretty much done for the money. I think it was just the lawyer and then like the Lutz or whatever. They pretty much concocted the whole thing. Mm. Somehow Ed and Lorraine Warren ended up becoming a part of that lore. But I don't think they were they were mentioned in the book or movie. My experience with those is I remember one time... My dad was watching The Omen on TV and I tried watching it and I remember thinking it was the scariest thing I had ever seen in my life as as a little kid. Why? Because of the little kid? Yeah, because of the little kid and the fucking dogs and all that shit. <laughs> <laughs> El perrito está bonito. Ay, ay. Well, I guess it was just one dog, but uh, no, it wasn't pretty like the good Omen dog. This was like a fucking like pit bull or no, it wasn't even a pit bull. It was like a Doberman or some shit. Yeah. It was like some scary ass fucking dog. They're cute though. I like them. Oh, not at all. Mm -mm. I want one. Hell no. They look cute <laughs> as puppies, but that's it. But I mean, everything looks cute as a puppy. I, I looked cute when I was a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> True that. The Amityville Horror I watched after I had read the book. 
and I wasn't that impressed by the movie. But I don't know, since you say that it was really good, maybe I should rewatch it. You know, if you read the book first and then watch a movie, the movie will never do it justice. Yeah, it doesn't. And that, I'm actually going to bring that up in the next movie I'm going to talk about right now. But before I do, did you ever watch Richard Donner's Superman? Uh, is that with the OG Superman? The um, What's his name? Christopher Reeves? Yes. Of course. Yes, I did. Just making sure. And it's weird to think that Richard Donner directed that movie because, you know, he did The Omen, which is like completely different. Yeah. But then at the same time, he did the Lethal Weapon movies, which were also completely different. So. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Okay. I actually really like Richard Donner a lot. I think he's a really good director. Even though all his movies are different, like they don't feel like they're the same genre. I feel like all of them are pretty good. Cool. I didn't know that either until right now. But yeah, I mean, so far, all the movies that I've watched of his that you've mentioned, I like so. Yeah. He's done a lot more. Like when, when I was researching this, I was surprised, but I can't remember any of the other ones right now. Now, um, even though Jake Rawson doesn't mention this in his Mental Floss article, I think that Rosemary's Baby was also super influential in putting satanic cult rituals in the global zeitgeist, especially since it actually features a cult satanic ritual in the 1967 book and the 1968 movie. Have you ever read that book or watched the movie? Yes. Rosemary's Baby, I've seen the movie, but it's been a really long time, so I couldn't even really tell you much about it. Um, and the book, no, I, I, I didn't read the book. Yeah, I know. It is super old, uh, but I really liked both. If, if you never read the book, I highly recommend that because honestly, the shit that your mind comes up with is way more dark and twisted than anything that they could have come up with in 1968 as far as like special effects and stuff. Heck yeah. I feel like I wouldn't be able to sleep for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like the big thing about the movie is that you wanted to see what that baby looked like. Mm -hmm. Like that was like the all that you wanted to see because like... Well, for me, I had read the book first. So, you know, my mind imagined that baby looking a certain way. So like the whole fucking movie, like I wanted to pull a Trump and just like fast forward just to the, that one part, just to see what that baby looked like. But I think that's where the, where the movie falls apart because, um, you know, the special effects weren't that great. And I don't think they were, that they were able to pull off that big reveal. Right, right. And I do not even recall that part, though. So I'll have to go back and watch it. I recommend the book a lot more. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> they also did one with um with uh zoe saldana they made like an mbc movie out of it i think i have that one in my um in my voodoo and and that one was pretty good i think they did a pretty good job on that one a rosemary's baby remake with zoe saldana yeah ah, canijos. yeah i didn't know about that i'll check it out yeah it was like one of those like made for tv NBC after school. Well, I guess it was like ABC after school specials or whatever. Lifetime movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't quite that bad. It was it was pretty good for being um, a TV movie. Also, like the director of the original one, uh, Roman Polanski, he's kind of a piece of shit. So, um, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe you shouldn't watch the original one. Maybe read the book or or watch the Zoe Saldana one. Oh yeah, it's like. Um... It's a series. It's not just a movie. It's like a... Yeah, it was, I think, like two episodes or three episodes or something. Ah, canijos. Yeah, you know what? I'm looking at the cover art right now, and it does. it's not jogging any memory. So, yeah, I don't think I've ever watched it, nor did I know about it. I really like that. Good to know. <laughs> now, the documentary, Satan Wants You, which will be streaming exclusively on Tubi this winter, 
also cites the 1976 TV movie Sybil as something that primed people into thinking satanic ritual abuse was a thing. And we'll talk more about this documentary later. I'm going to link to the Satan Wants You website because you must watch the trailer. It's so good. And I encourage everyone to watch it later this year when it comes out. We'll be sure to mention it on this podcast when it's released. Cool, yes. When Michelle Remembers came out in 1980, Satan was on everybody's mind, thanks to everything that we just discussed. So the claims that Michelle Smith made in the book didn't seem that far-fetched. Michelle and her psychiatrist, Larry Pastor, became overnight celebrities and were on every talk show that would have them. Uh, Let me show you a little excerpt of her from the October 20th, 1980 episode of Webster from BCTV, where she describes her memory of realizing at the age of five that she was part of a satanic ritual and what was done in some of these ceremonies. This courtesy of the Royal BC Museum. Please don't sue us. Please. Michelle, can I ask you mm-hmm. what it was that after four years of therapy and this deep state of consciousness that came out of your mind? Uh, basically, what I remembered was a 14-month period of my life at age five where I was given to a group of people whom at first I wasn't aware of what they were doing other than to a child they were adults doing things I couldn't understand and that frightened me. About three months, three and a half months into the remembering, I realized through the ritual and repetition that these people had that they were involved in some type of satanic church or worship. You were then how old? Five years old. Had this disturbed you before you went into no, therapy? No, I had no memory of this whatsoever before After that time. therapy, you began to be very disturbed by what was deep in your subconscious. I had left the four years of therapy with Dr. Pazder, feeling that I'd basically resolved the issues in my life that I needed to and was going on with my life very happily. Uh, When I began to feel, about a year and a half later, an increasing pressure that said there was something there that I needed to tell him, but I didn't know what it was at the time. What was it? Tell me. Tell me as much as you can. Tell me. What basically came out of that pressure was, uh, the first thing I remembered was a night when a group of people were gathered to do, I didn't know what, they were doing dances that were not like the dances I was used to. They had the walls draped in black. They had set up candles, uh, that kind of thing. And basically what I remembered is quite a struggle that very early got set up between myself and them in that they somehow wanted me to participate in something that I as a child couldn't comprehend. Did you have a mother and father? Yes. There? Yes. No. No, my mother was present, but not in the ceremony, not in the ritual. She wasn't involved in that. Her position seemed to be one of giving me to this group. What kind of group would you describe it as? A satanic group, you said? You mean a coven of witches? I don't know if you'd call them witches. They were certainly dedicated to doing a lot of seriously frightening and destructive things. Were you molested or injured or...? Yes, I was was physically hurt a lot. At one point, uh, because of the lack of cooperation that I exhibited, they placed me in a car and literally drove it over the side of a cliff with me in it. I survived that car accident. How old were you then? I was five years old. And what do you think was the end result of these ceremonial tortures that you went through? I think basically they somehow wanted me to become a part of whatever it was they were involved in. They somehow wanted me to be taken over by, by, their, by their belief system. Um, but it's funny, children are very simplistic 
They're very literal. And very early to a child, things are black and white, good and bad. Did you recall anything about animal or human sacrifices? They, they sacrificed animals. And they used fetuses of babies in their ceremonies. What is it? Tell me. Tell me. Tell me, goddammit. Ay, como interrumpe ese pinche viejo. I know when you were playing the audio, I was about to do the same thing. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, <laughs> let me not interrupt the audio. But yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this guy's annoying. Tell me. Tell me to the best of your recollection. Now. To whom? Whom? God damn it. Este, yeah, he was giving me PTSD just hearing all the fucking interruptions. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of that clip, though? She seems like she would be a lot of fun to hang out with, huh? Oh, yeah, most definitely. With all that PTSD and trauma, for sure. She's a hit at the parties. <laughs> what did you think about what she had to say, though? Tell me. Tell me. God damn it. Tell me. To whom? God damn it. Tell me. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's definitely really sad. Um, but I fixated more on that guy. Sorry. <laughs> he stole the show <laughs> yeah I'm not gonna lie I had to listen to it a couple of times because the first couple well I had to listen to it maybe like three times because the first couple of times I was so I don't want to say like enraged but I was like triggered by his interrupting that um, yeah I didn't really listen to what she said the first few times <laughs> yeah she's trying to tell a story and he's not allowing her to <laughs> But tell me now. Was it a witch coven? What was it? What was it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, God. But it's pretty remarkable, everything that she claims to have remembered for being five years old, huh? Yeah, for sure. But I think uh, that's probably part of her core memories, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe like when you and I went to go watch The Exorcist, which... I somehow don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, one of the takeaways, one of the things that surprised me was that she said that she claimed to be a victim of the satanic cult for 14 months. Can you imagine that? Hell no. She also claimed that she was put in a car and driven over a cliff and miraculously she survived. Yeah, I don't see how that works, but sure. You know, could they have been maybe just nightmares that she was experiencing? Possibly. We'll definitely go more into that. Okay. What do you think about her claims of being part of animal and human sacrifices? Well, I don't know. After making that claim of uh, driving off a cliff and surviving, uh, it's, it's starting to seem a little bit less and less, more like Amityville. Horror and <laughs> exorcist vibes. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And one of the things that I kept on thinking too is, I wonder what type of dancing they were doing. I imagine it probably had to be flocorico dancing, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was something she wasn't familiar with. So maybe she's not familiar with flocorico dancing. No, probably not. So era del baile de los matachines. Andale. That's probably what it was. Sí. <laughs> also, I like how in the background... You can hear somebody in ching on the typewriter. I imagine transcribing everything in real time. Oh, I didn't catch that. Well, you, you'll hear it on this next clip. On this next clip, she actually talks more in depth about the animal and human sacrifices. And this one, I promise, is not as long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
paranoid. What do you remember of, a animal, of an animal sacrifice? What do I? Remember. An animal was sacrificed to the front would, of you? They would sacrifice kittens and things like that. And smear you with? With that. The body. But to a, to a small child, you see, in order to survive that, you said at one point that would drive people crazy. Mm. But a small child, the kinds of things that they do in a situation like that is, for instance, they put me in a cage at one point. Instead of seeing that as a place that trapped me, I saw it as a place that protected me from these people I was afraid of. And inside that little space, I could create my own world. So those you were saying the that there are some psychic or psychiatric or clinical investigations. Well, certainly there's the a, a careful uh, investigation being conducted by the church. Very careful, very serious. All the material is in their hands. Ah, oh, kittens are cute. They look pretty. Yeah. You know what it kind of reminds me of? When police interrogate somebody and they try to get them to go like their way. Oh, yeah. Remember they did this? They, remember they did that? That's what it kind of sounds like. Like they're trying to get her to say certain things. I don't know. That's kind of what I, I got from this last clip. You're definitely right. And uh, that actually plays a big part in um, the, the later half of our story. Great. So that man that spoke at the end was Dr. Larry Pastor, the one who was saying that the careful investigation was being done by the church. Mm -hmm. Keep the church in the back of your mind. We're going to talk about them later. Okay. Can't wait. Aside from that, what did you think about the clip? Any thoughts? No, well, just that, that it sounds like they're trying to sway her to say certain things, you know, like recollect things that aren't really there or didn't really happen. I can definitely see that. Regardless of whether or not the story was true, thankfully, Michelle was saved and she discusses being saved in the following clip. Five-year-old, according to the CP story from Victoria, Michelle is saved by the timely intervention of the Virgin Mary. What was that referring to? I think we should ask I Michelle. think I can explain yes, that to you. At one point in this experience, um, they had become very serious in their spiritual invocation of things. And at one point, I was literally being frightened to death. At that moment, when I think I was dying, a very soft white light came and enveloped me, much like the feeling of being padded with cotton batten. And out of that, a woman came and stood beside me and took a hold of my hand, identified herself as my mare, and basically told me to hang on, to help me understand the situation I was in and how to get through it. Ma mère? Ma mère. The Virgin Mary? That's right. How old were you when you had the vision? Five years old. I didn't know who that was at five. All I knew was this was the first person that had come along in 10 months of my life who cared about me as a person and who wanted me to survive, not to destroy me. Thank God the Virgin Mary was there to help Michelle so that she could bravely tell us about her traumatic story. Yeah. Have you ever heard her referred to as Mamere or como dijo ya? I think that's like Mother Mary or something in um in French. Ah, gotcha. And we're we're actually gonna touch on the French part too, because that's actually a very important part of this story. Okay. Now, um, could you detect some sarcasm in my voice? Of course. That's because Michelle and Larry's story was all bullshit. Of course it was. But it had some very serious implications. And it ended up hurting so many innocent people, good people Ugh. who were thrown in jail for years because of the satanic panic she inspired. Ugh. So kind of like Salem's witch trials meets satanic panic. Yeah, this was like the 80s Salem witch trials pretty much, except that people weren't hanged and burned. Exactly. They were just thrown in jail for years. Same, same. No, just kidding. <laughs> 
So let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we'll start looking at the plot holes in her story and talk about some of the people that were hurt by the satanic panic. Hey there, spooky people. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Heaven. What are we going to talk about this time? The same thing we always talk about, something paranormal. Welcome to our little plot of the graveyard we call the Opa Ghost Podcast. We're a couple of ghost hunters who met on an investigation. Here we are four years later with our very own podcast, where we share our paranormal experiences and investigations. We cover topics like the Enfield Poltergeist and Shadow People and some places you may not have heard of, like the haunted bunghole liquors. Look it up. Safe search on. Don't think we've forgotten about cryptids? From Thunderbirds to Bat Squatch, we've got it covered. We have a lot planned for spooky season. Start with a visit to Salem and come along as we check out real haunted houses. Follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy spooky season. Toodles. Just what is it that makes the perfect outfit? Something thrown together, yet effortlessly cool. Something with a certain je ne sais quoi that makes people in the street look twice, even thrice. Something chic that helps its wearer to radiate confidence and captures the essence of a moment or a place in time while being simultaneously timeless. And yet, the history of fashion is far from being all glamour and glitz. Hello, I'm Felicia Yao, host of History Unhemmed, a podcast that looks inside fashion history's finished exterior. We'll discuss topics from haunted wedding dresses to rhinestone cowboys to why, when he stuck a feather in his cap, he called it macaroni. History Unhemmed is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your shows. New episodes come out every other week, so be sure to tune in and subscribe today. And we're back. We're back. Elena, did you sacrifice any children or kittens to the first of the fallen, the spoiler of virgins, the desolate one, Satan, during our break? No, I didn't have any available. Oh, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it anyway. Oh, okay. No. Okay, good. Glad that, that you clarified that. <laughs> Before our break, we talked about how Michelle and Larry's book was all bullshit, but it had a lot of serious implications. Were you aware that it was all made up? Well, I mean, sort of. We kind of alluded to that. I mean, prior to us starting this podcast, were you aware that it was all made up? Oh, well, then, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> did you know that her book was a catalyst that started the whole satanic panic? No, I did not. Let's talk about some of the serious implications that this had, especially on innocent people. And I'm going to start off with some of the ones that I teased at the beginning of the episode, and we'll go from less serious to more serious. Okay. Let's start off with the home of everyone's favorite third-degree burn-causing coffee, McDonald's. <laughs> okay. This one actually predated the Satanic Panic and started in 1978. McDonald's started being 
inundated with letters from people wanting to know why McDonald's founder, Ray Kroc, was donating McDonald's profits to the Church of Satan. At first, McDonald's dismissed the letters as being silly questions, but before too long, they were getting bags full of letters wanting to know the same thing. According to Reverend John McFarland of the Kenmore Church of God, Reverend McFarland stated that he was told by a parishioner that Ray Kroc came out on the Phil Donahue show stating that he donated company profits to the Church of Satan. McFarland never fact-checked it and published it in the church newsletter. As you can imagine, this information spread like athlete's foot in a high school locker room Bucci. and almost became gospel. <laughs> so much so that McDonald's had to release a public statement denying that Kroc ever made such a statement. Kroc did come out on the Phil Donahue show. That part was true, but never did he express a desire to support or even suggest supporting the Church of Satan. Tonto. No, I didn't know. You didn't know that? No, I, I did not know that. That's before my time. <laughs> I remember the hot coffee, though. <laughs> well, there was another one that just happened, I think, a couple of days ago. Oh, no, no. Okay. I don't listen to the news, so I probably don't know it either. What was this lady that, um, it was pretty much the same thing. Like, she, um, she went to go buy coffee or something, and it, it spilled on her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she went to McDonald's just to ask him to help her pay the medical bills because she had to get skin grafts from how bad the um, the burns were. Are you serious? Again? Again, yeah. You want to know something like really fucked up though? They said no. Well, they said no to agreeing her with a $20,000. That's how much it would have cost to pay for her skin grafts because we live in a society where <laughs> healthcare is ridiculously expensive. Right, yeah. But... um. Like, there's actually a reason why McDonald's does that, like why they have the coffee so hot. It's because the hotter that they have the coffee, the longer that the coffee stays fresh and the less amount of times that they have to prepare a whole new pot of coffee. So they estimate that by having the coffee that hot, it saves McDonald's $1 million a day. Oh my gosh. Well, they should have just paid the 20000 then. Right? That's what I'm saying. But um, they didn't agree to it. So now McDonald's is getting sued again. Nice. And she'll end up with more money, too. Probably. That's crazy because um, I thought after that first lawsuit, they were supposed to turn down the temperature so that that wouldn't happen again. And then I think they realized that they were losing a million dollars a day by doing that. So they were like, eh, we can afford to pay a couple million dollars here and there every time we get sued. They've already gotten sued, by the way, over 700 times for that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> No, pues no aprenden. No, they don't care. It saves them money in the long run. Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. I, I don't ever get coffee from McDonald's because I don't, I think it's weak. <laughs> I don't like the taste, but um, I can't remember like the last time that I got coffee from McDonald's, it being that hot, but whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. it's It's been a, at least a couple of years since I've gotten coffee from there. I don't remember if it was weak or not. I know they're, uh, they're cold coffees, whatever those are called. Mm-hmm. I think that those are not very good. I think the Starbucks ones are are better. Yeah. But um, I think the last time that I did get the coffee, I, I don't remember not liking it. So I think I was just like... Um, indifferent? Yeah, I was indifferent. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was indifferent because I didn't think bad or good about it. But yeah, I also didn't think it was too hot. I think when the cold coffees first came out, they were really good. But that was before Starbucks existed here in our area. And I mean, with time, I started enjoying more of that, like, um, 
like the stronger, bolder coffee taste. So now, like if I have a McDonald's coffee, I just feel like it tastes like water. I can see that. I also drink very strong coffee, so um, I think most coffee for me doesn't taste that bold. I wouldn't say it tastes watered down, but it just it's not as rich as I like it. Right, right. Another company which is rich.、Um, well, that was a poor segue. Another company that was affected was Procter and Gamble, who was accused in 1980 of supporting Satan. And if you look at their old logo, it had 13 stars and a moon. It actually looked really cool. It almost looked kind of Wiccan or something. Yeah, I think I remember reading about something like that. Okay, so for to catch everybody else up, people were somehow convinced that those thirteen stars were secretly a mark of the devil. So many people bought into this that Procter and Gamble had to set up an eight hundred number to assure people that they were not supporting Satan. And the thirteen stars were chosen in eighteen eighty two to represent the country's original thirteen colonies. But no matter what they did, the rumors persisted and forced. And forced Procter and Gamble to change their century-old logo, and、of、there are、course. many. And there are. I mean, you know how people are. Sorry, <laughs> keep interrupting you. That's <laughs>、uh, okay. Tell me, goddammit, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like that guy?、Uh, no, I was just gonna say, you know how people are. If they have a chance to complain about anything, they will. <laughs> and I think that those people are kind of motivated, kind of by their religion, and、uh, I'll just end it there before I go into a sermon. Okay. <laughs> And there are countless other things. I'm gonna go through these really quickly because、uh, this podcast is gonna be really long.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, let me know which one of these you remember. Okay. Elena remembers. <laughs> you remember the Thundercats? Yes. Supposedly, they promoted Eastern mysticism, which is somehow related to Satan for some reason. Of course. Okay. <laughs> How about He-Man? Yes. Apparently, the Snake Mountain toy allegedly invoked demonic imagery. Because kids could use the built-in microphone to deepen their voice and pretend to be evil. Okay. And that just made me think, "Fuck, man! The '80s had the best cartoons and the best toys ever." For real. Do you remember the Smurfs? Of course. Allegedly, they had blue skin and black lips because they were members of the undead. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay. <laughs> I don't remember them having black lips. Do you? No, I don't remember that either. But now I want to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I also never got corpse or、uh, zombie vibes from the Smurfs. No, me neither. Here's a toy I remember you having, Elena.、Mm-hmm. Remember Rainbow Bright? Yes, I loved her. According to some, that beauty mark on her cheek was actually a pentagram because this innocently-looking girl secretly hailed Satan. Oh, hail Satan! Acanijos. <laughs> That、Sorry. little, that little <laughs> star on her cheek. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, supposedly. And sorry, you knew King Diamond was going to make an appearance in this fucker, especially since I'm wearing his shirt.、Mm-hmm. Although shockingly, he wasn't even mentioned in any of the articles, even though his early work with Merciful Fate talked about nothing but the devil and, and evil before he started writing his own stories with his solo band. Yeah, you would think, right? That's what I would imagine. Like he would have been perfect bait, I guess, for these、uh, Christian conservatives or whatever. Right. They did show him super briefly in the documentary "Satan Wants You," but it looked like old archival footage of him putting on his makeup, like during the eighties or something. Oh, that's cool. One band that was mentioned by Mental Floss, however, was the mighty Judas Priest, who was sued for six point two million dollars in nineteen ninety. 
when the parents of two boys who made a suicide pact killed themselves in 1985. The parents of the kids claimed that Judas Priest intentionally included the messages Do It and Let's Be Dead in their 1978 classic Better By You, Better Than Me, which is actually an amazing song and it wasn't even written by Judas Priest. It's a cover of a 1969 song by English rock band Spooky Tooth. Are you familiar with that song? No, right now I'm not. That's how I was like, a ver, sing it. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard it. It's the better by you, better than me. You can tell what I want it to be. You can say what I only can see. It's better by you, better than me. Yeah, I know what song you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to admit, I listened to Better By You, Better Than Me no less than three times while researching that part of the script. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> brought back some memories. For sure. And uh, the original by Spooky Tooth is not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. Judas Priest made that song amazing. Plus, you have Rob Halford's vocals, which are next level. Mm -hmm. He's one of my favorite singers of all time. And Glenn Tipton's guitar playing, epic. Yeah. But according to the lawsuit, Do It and Let's Be Dead were only audible in the song when you played the song backwards. Audio experts were brought in and played the song countless times backwards and forwards at different speeds, but ultimately the judge ruled that the plaintiff didn't prove subliminal messages were deliberately placed on the album and the band wasn't liable. Well, that's good. Yeah. And they even said that it's not really possible to write lyrics that make sense backwards and forwards. And you kind of talked about that on our two-year anniversary show when we were discussing the Paul McCartney death conspiracy. I did. I see what you're doing there. You're uh, appealing to the <laughs> Generation Z. <laughs> to Gen Z, that's right. Eh. Now, um, like we were talking about, um, you know, there were hints hidden in the Beatles' work that suggested that Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. And really... It's what's called audio pareidolia, where the brain is trying to make sense of gibberish because our minds are designed to look for meaning, even if meaning doesn't exist. Mm. And that's why humans see faces and in inanimate objects. Are you familiar with that concept of pareidolia? Uh, not with the term, but the concept, yes. Like a good example of this is, um, I don't know how electric plugs are in other countries, but in the US, it almost looks like they make a little face. Oh, yeah. Where the blades go, I guess, is like the eyes and then the part where the grounding pin or whatever it's called goes, it almost looks like a little mouth, like doing like that O emoji expression. <laughs> yeah. Another common thing is like people that see faces in cars, like they think the headlights look like eyes and the grill looks like a mouth. Or when people see Jesus Christ on a toast. Yeah, that's another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they sell that toast for millions of dollars on eBay. Yeah, or they see, ¿cómo se llama? Mer, mamer, 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 for the Virgin Mary? Mamer. Mamer. Mamando. <laughs> when, you, when you see mamer up in the clouds. <laughs> yep, or on your tortilla. Oh, yeah, in the tortilla. <laughs> the burnt tortilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you familiar with this lawsuit that uh, Judas Priest... I guess had to go through in the 80s? Or actually, that was in 1990. Um, not specifically Judas Priest, but I, I knew that there were some bands that were accused of similar things. I just don't know the specifics. 
I think a lot of it had to do with that, with subliminal messages that were being hidden in albums because, you know, bands like Slayer and King Diamond <laughs> just say it straight up, you know, you, you don't have to hide that shit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. But let's, uh, let's just play some random album backwards and see what comes up. <laughs> That's the same thing. It's, it's audio pareidolia. So your mind, especially if you, th if somebody primes you, you're going to think that it's a certain thing. Yeah, the power of suggestion, for sure. Exactly. So up until now, these examples have been pretty benign. And aside from wasting people's time and money, no one was really hurt. Would you agree? Uh, I suppose. I mean, people's reputations were hurt. I'm sure that hurt record sales as well. I think for metal, it would increase record sales. <laughs> right? Let's see what else we can find. <laughs> No, because it's kind of like the gimmick, you know, like metal is like the horror movies of music. So, right. Yeah. It's pretty much the gimmick. Yeah, I guess so. Overall, nobody's lives were really ruined, right? I suppose. I don't know. Or are you going to tell me otherwise? Well, we're going to talk about some people whose lives were ruined oh. because of satanic panic. Are you familiar with the McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California? Right off the top of my head, no. But if you continue with your story, I'm, it might sound familiar. I don't know if it's another story that I'm confusing it with. All right. So let me give you the details here. The deets, as the kids would say. The deets. In 1983, a mother accused an employee of this preschool of molesting their child. Yes, I have heard of this story. Okay. This led to an investigation that went back two decades and eventually grew to include seven employees and 360 kids who claimed to be abused. At the heart of this investigation was a child advocacy group called the Children's Institute International, who was in charge of interviewing the children. The problem came with their approach in conducting the interviews, and the interviewers would ask leading questions like, we know what happened, just tell us. Mm -hmm. And the kids felt compelled to repeat stories they had heard others say or make up their own stories. Those that declined to speak or refuted the allegations were said to be, quote, too scared to talk. Among some of the things that the children claimed to have witnessed was their teacher flying around through the air and being forced to witness other children being sacrificed. In a Los Angeles Times article from 2005, one of the adults who was a child during the investigations stated that he would be asked questions over and over and over again until he learned to give them the answers that they wanted to hear. Many of the interviewing techniques were later discredited and no physical evidence was ever produced to support the kids' claims. Although I would kind of wanted to have seen that teacher fly through the air. <laughs> right? <laughs> that would definitely be a sight to see. Yep. Some of the kids later admitted to lying to tell the authorities what they wanted to hear. The McMartin case lasted six years and was the longest and most expensive trial in the history of California up until that point. Do you want to take a guess, a gander if you will, at who one of the experts consulting on the case was? Mm, I could not. No, I have no idea. <laughs> Nothing comes to mind right now. Was it the Kardashian attorney? I don't know. It was not. Oh, okay. It was none other than our old friend, Dr. Larry Pastor, co-author of Michelle Remembers. Ah, yes. Good old Larry. <laughs> yeah, good old Larry. <laughs> Larry the Bastard Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, all the defendants were exonerated, but by that time, one of the employees, Ray Buckley, had already served five years in prison before the charges were dismissed. Imagine serving five years in prison for a, a crime that you didn't commit, being away from your kids, your loved ones for five years. 
The charges were dismissed, but no one will ever give you that time back. Yeah, that's that's really sad. I want to say that you said this was in the 80s? Yes. Because this story seems very familiar to me, but I want to say that it was like something similar like this happened maybe, well, I guess in the 90s, it's right? You said 89 into 90? It started in 1980 and that lasted till about 92. Uh, I don't know why, but I feel like I researched this for college or some college course or something. And that's why it seems so familiar. And I remember even bringing up that daycare on like Google Maps just to see what it looked like. But I'm not really sure if it's the same case or a similar a similar case. But it, it has like the same elements, like where the kids were trained or taught to say what it is that they wanted them to say and, and the, the police officers trying to get them to say certain things. I don't know. It just seems so familiar. I don't know if it's the same story or not. It's possible during that time, there were a ton of daycares that were accused of satanic uh, ritual abuse. So that could be one of many. Mm. And that one is actually not even the worst one. Dan and Fran Keller from Oak Hill, Texas served 22 years in prison Ugh. before being released and being declared innocent. 22 years. Wow. That's amazing. That sucks. It's awful. According to an article in The Guardian by Tom Dart, this whole thing started when a three-year-old girl on her way to a behavioral therapy session told her mom that Dan Keller had spanked her. This later devolved to sexual assault, claims that the Kellers pooped and peed on her head, she was forced to eat blood, and that the children were victims of ritual abuse, murder, dismemberment, and animal sacrifice. My goodness. And the list of cases goes on and on. The New York Times claims that nearly 200 people were charged with crimes over the course of the satanic panic and dozens were convicted. It's so insane, huh? Yeah. Sucks, man. Imagine those people 22 fucking years, man. That's like half of my life. Yeah. And then you have to like rehabilitate yourself to like live in like the last thing you remember, the fashion, everything is so different. You know, like your world is two decades later, and then you have to like rehabilitate yourself to be able to live in that present time. I, I don't know. That just sucks, man. It really does. Especially like you went in there before, like computers and cell phones and the internet to come out. Like, I think you would feel like you woke up in the future or some shit. Yeah, for sure. Eventually, people started putting two and two together and started to realize that some of these stories weren't just outlandish, but the numbers just didn't add up. According to the documentary, Satan Wants You, Charles Ennis from the Vancouver Police Department stated, quote, two million children are sacrificed every year in the United States. 3.71 million children were born every year in the States. You're telling me that 54% of the children born were all kidnapped and sacrificed? Really? There's no evidence of that, folks. I know. Yeah. How are they coming up with the, the statistic? That's crazy, right? But nobody really stopped to think of it. Other uh, people are like, yeah, sure. Let's not fact check this either. All right. Here's another part that doesn't add up. He later stated another part of the documentary. Quote, could this possibly have happened? Is there any truth to any part of this? Okay. You're describing these rituals in which you are severely treated. They cut you up with knives and they sew things onto your body that are ripped off and they knock out your teeth and they do all these things. And then miraculously, the angel Michael comes and takes all the scars away. This is ridiculous. 
definitely ridiculous. <laughs> the <laughs> magical angel Michael. Yeah. And that was one thing that I was wondering too when, when I was um, first researching this and everything and hearing the, the testimonials that Michelle was making. I was like, well, it would be pretty easy to fact check all that because all they would have to do is look for the scars, right? I'm sure that she would still have scars. I mean, you would think. Unless those also miraculously disappeared. La mamere took the scars away from her. <laughs> La mamere. <laughs> <laughs> La mamere. <laughs> and you have to agree, no one really stopped to think that if everything all these kids were reporting that was done to them was true, there would be some physical evidence, at least scars or marks on the kids. But there was no physical evidence to back up any of the claims. Also, 2 million kids being sacrificed every year. I think everyone would know at least one person whose kid was sacrificed. Yeah, I agree. Unless they're getting those kids from like a different country. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. Now, speaking about good old Mamere, you remember that third clip I played for you when Michelle claims that the Virgin Mary spoke to her in French? How can I forget? <laughs> <laughs> well, she claimed that she didn't understand French. She still doesn't know French. Her sister Cheryl calls her out on her shit. She said, quote, yes, she did. You took it in high school for one thing, and you won an award for it because you were so good. Plus, my grandfather spoke fluent French, and she used to converse with him. And she said, I've never spoken French before in my life, and it just poured out of me. It's more like lies poured out of her. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Why would she lie about that? I guess she thought her sister wouldn't go against her or say something. I think that's the most remarkable part is that her own sister is calling her out on her shit. You're full of shit. My <laughs> mare. My mare spoke to you in French and you've known it all along. <laughs> yeah, that's that's bullshit. But I guess maybe uh, Michelle thought that that would make her story that much more believable or whatever. Like She's speaking in tongues or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, you often hear that people speak in tongues when they're possessed or uh, I guess like when their bodies are inhabited by the Holy Spirit or whatever they call it. Yeah. Michelle had claimed in the book and numerous interviews that she was held captive by the satanic cult for 14 months during 1955. Larry's wife, Marilyn, thought it would be pretty easy to see whether she could find her during that time. Quote, we just went to the school and asked them for the yearbook. They have a collection of all the yearbooks. Her picture was right there. They said the picture was taken in the fall. Well, she was supposed to be locked up. She wasn't. Her picture was right there. And Marilyn has a point. If you're missing for 14 months, you're not going to be in the yearbook. There would be no records of you having attended school that whole year. Yeah, exactly. What a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. It's all very suspicious, I think. Yeah. So poor Marilyn at this point came to the realization that this was all bullshit, but she wasn't sure whether it was Michelle making the whole thing up or if it was Larry and Michelle that were making things up. Sadly, she got her answer when she saw a People magazine article that was written about them. In the magazine, there is a picture of Michelle lying next to Larry on a couch with her top off. Larry claimed that this is how he comforted her when she was recounting her difficult memories. And as you can imagine, Marilyn was so heartbroken that she went and filed for divorce. That's super fucked up, huh? Why would you agree to post for that picture in a magazine of all places? <laughs> I know. I have no idea. <laughs> Was it Playboy magazine? <laughs> it was People magazine. Ah, canijos. That's just odd. I don't know. <laughs> These people are weirdos. Do you want to take a guess at what happened next? Uh, no. What happened next? 
Okay, so as if lying around topless during their therapy sessions was not a conflict of interest and unethical enough, Larry and Michelle ended up getting married. Marilyn suggested that this whole thing was just a ruse to get with her husband, and coming up with this whole story was her way of, sp of spending time with them. She stated that prior to all this blowing up, she was constantly calling the house, wanting to speak with Larry. When they would go on vacation, Michelle would still call him, even if they were out of the country. She didn't see this as being a normal doctor-patient relationship. How would you react if your husband was a doctor and there was a patient calling the house all hours of the day? Uh, one, I would tell him that he would need to find her a new doctor or he would ha need to stop seeing her as a patient. Two, I think I've seen enough movies that um, would make me want to A, move and B, change my number. <laughs> this lady seems pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. That's totally not normal for a patient and, and doctor relationship. No. And I mean, she's totally seducing him by taking her top off so that he could comfort her. Y él también bien obediente. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, she did have that Justin Timberlake Maruchan hair also. So oh. that's like Spanish fly, I hear. I guess. <laughs> 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 it's like Spanish flies all over the Maruchan. <laughs> <laughs> And I agree with you. If I was in Marilyn's situation, I would have told her, you have to stop calling, girl. Call back tomorrow during normal business hours. And forget this number. Because it sounds like she, oh, well, did he work out of the house? Is that why she had the home phone number? I don't think so, because I think the wife would have noticed when they were lying around on the couch topless. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's behind closed doors, I don't know. Session in progress. Maybe. You want to know something else that's kind of disturbing? A ver. When Marilyn was looking through Larry's paperwork, there were paper records of the Catholic Church paying them off. When she attempted to speak with one of the priests and asked why they were paying them money, one of the priests said that it was a consulting fee. She spoke with the bishop, and the bishop was like, Oh, yeah, I even took them to the Vatican so they could meet the Pope. What? They didn't really elaborate too much in the documentary how many times they were being paid or the amounts that they were getting but they showed one receipt of $10,000. What? Yeah. That's ridiculous. And this was in Canadian dollars, but adjusted for inflation, that would be almost 37,000 Canadian dollars in 2023 or close to 29,000 American dollars. Wow. And again, that was just one receipt. And we don't know how many more payments there might've been, but still, that's a lot of money. Plus you get taken to the Vatican and you're big pimping with the Pope to boot. Damn, son, that's pretty sweet, huh? Heck yeah. What the heck? That's that's crazy. Well, because it was convenient for the church, I guess, the, the stories that they were coming up with and all that satanic panic crap. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think they saw it as promotion or something. You know, people would get kind of worked up about this and then they would seek out the church. Yeah, exactly. By the early 90s, the whole satanic panic thing had pretty much blown over. The insurance company stopped paying for a lot of these therapy sessions where people were going to therapists to uncover repressed memories of satanic ritual abuse and actually started suing and winning multi-million dollar lawsuits against their therapist. But the damage had been done. This became a permanent black mark on psychiatry, psychology, and therapy. Hundreds of people's lives were ruined with these accusations and dozens served years in prison for crimes that never happened. Around the time that all this was coming to an end, you know what crimes are starting to become exposed and coming to light? What's that? 
all the Catholic Church sexual abuse cases and cover-ups were starting to receive public attention. Of course. So what do you think of this story, Lena? I know you were pretty young in the 80s. Do you remember any of it or do you remember reading about any of it? I remember one of the podcasts that I listened to, they briefly touched up on the satanic panic thing, but it was a few episodes ago, so I don't I don't remember it that well. But um, I mean, I remember hearing about it, reading about it, but I've never done a deep dive like this before. So it was pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you thought it was interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. And I never thought that I was going to end up doing such a deep dive either. I actually found out about the movie Satan Wants You through super friend Dakota from one of our favorite podcasts, ContraZoom Pod. And he actually suggested that we cover this topic all the way back on May 4th of this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had told him that I actually had the satanic panic listed as one of my topics that I wanted to cover around Halloween time. Uh-huh. And I know that it started due to supposed repressed memories that people were uncovering during hypnosis, but I didn't realize the whole craze was because of those two people and that one book, at least according to all the sources that I used. They all named it as the catalyst. Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. Mind blown. Mind blown. So since Dakota suggested this topic, I asked him to share his thoughts on the whole satanic panic and the documentary, Satan Wants You. Here's what he sent in. Hi, Jose and Elena. It's Dakota, host of the movie podcast, ContraZoom Pod. Thanks for asking me to participate in your latest show about the satanic panic. I was born at the tail end of the 80s, so I didn't quite live during the initial phase of the satanic panic. I do remember the fear-mongering about video games making kids violent and that the Harry Potter series was anti-Christian, but it wasn't quite the same thing. I later learned about what was going on in the 80s, demonizing things like heavy metal, Dungeons and Dragons, and other non-mainstream hobbies. Watching the documentary Satan Wants You earlier this year was a huge eye-opening moment for me at just how complicit the entire media and political landscape was. Things that any sane person should have heard, paused for a moment, and thought rationally and replied, what you are saying is batshit insane and you need to learn some critical thinking skills. I'm sure you'll end up talking more about the movie, but it was fascinating to learn that while the satanic panic didn't start with the book Michelle Remembers, it certainly was the gasoline poured over society. Finding out it all took place in my new home province of British Columbia is pretty wild. I had the chance to interview the directors of Satan Wants You, Sean Horler and Steve J. Adams, on my podcast back in August on episode 247, if anyone wants to learn more about the film. I'm very excited to learn what Jose did as a child that probably got him accused of being satanic. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for sending that in, Dakota. And thank you so much for calling me out. I was going to say it was more like what you didn't do. <laughs> right. And I'm going to link to the two podcast episodes where he and Rachel talk about the movie, as well as his review of the movie on that shelf in the show notes, in case you want to check them out. And again, um, thank you, Dakota, for being so generous with your time. You're the best. Yes. And I think we should make him. Should we make him? Yeah, let's do it. Dakota. You're our super friend of the week. <laughs> Again, Dakota, you're the best. Now, to answer his question, I think that just the fact that I listened to metal, always wore black, specifically metal t-shirts and had long hair, was enough to get people to think that I was satanic. 
I'm not, in case anyone was wondering. Um, there are some values of Satanism that I really like, like being empathetic, advocating practical common sense, using science to guide my understanding of the world, as opposed to perverting science to fit my biases, and practicing compassion, wisdom, and justice above all. But I think that those are just good values to have, regardless of your religious preference. Yes. Here, here. <laughs> when it comes to the podcast, I can see why some might think that I'm satanic, since I usually bring up most of the dark topics and I have a very dark sense of humor. And I think just going back to what we were saying earlier, growing up in a sheltered household and environment, I was naturally attracted to the stuff that I was quote unquote being protected from. And that just happened to be all the darker stuff, mainly because I felt like I wasn't supposed to know about that, but my natural curiosity made me want to learn about it more. And most importantly, find out why I wasn't supposed to know about it. I don't know, something just feels good about being kind of creeped out and curious at the same time. And I think that I'm not alone when it comes to enjoying this. I think a lot of people kind of have a morbid curiosity about dark subjects. I think that's the reason that horror and true crime are so popular. Yeah. What about you, Elena? Has there been a time when you have ever been accused of being satanic or you felt people perceived you as satanic or morbid or anything like that? No, I can't think of a time. But uh, I would say that yeah, I think you're right with, you know, people being curious and wanting to know the unknown and the scary. I don't know. I, I like to feel frightened because it gives you like an adrenaline rush. <laughs> the other day, <laughs> we went to the Spirit Halloween store and I took Elias, the my little one and my, my eldest. And the little one was so afraid. Like he did not want to get <laughs> close to any of the little like animatronic things. And I knew that if I stepped on them, they were going to somehow like jump out at me or try and reach me or whatever. And I know it's not real, but it's still like the thrill and not knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> I just imagine it's kind of like the same thing, you know, trying to learn about the unknown and the, the dark and all that darkness. And it does definitely give you adrenaline because uh, all the crazy shit I liked as a kid, like um, Unsolved Mysteries, X-Files, all those Mysteries of the Unknown books, I would always be kind of scared watching them or reading them, but that made me want to keep on watching or reading more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird, huh? Yeah. I know people that are not like that. They rather just stay away from it, but I don't know. I guess you and I and our other brother, Alfonso, are curious about those kinds of things. I think it might be because it's in a controlled environment, so you know that no matter what, you're safe. Because I know like when it comes to real life stuff, I'm like the biggest wuss. I don't want to say I'm a scaredy cat, but there are a lot of things that frighten me <laughs> in the real world. Yeah. And a lot of things that I do avoid. Mostly it's people that I avoid. But yeah, <laughs> I um, I think just the fact that you know that you're safe and you can explore that without being in physical danger, I think that that makes it even much more alluring. Yeah, I think that is correct. <laughs> I think you have a point there. Oh, it's not often that I do. I <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so I know that I kind of steamrolled through this because it's a very long topic. Um, was there anything that you felt like you wanted to add or um, any questions you might have had or anything? No, I think you did a great job in delivering it all. And I look forward to uh, watching that documentary that Dakota mentioned and maybe reading Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> Rosemary's Baby is so good. I have it on digital or else I would offer to let you borrow it. Oh, no, that's fine. 
I think it costs me like three bucks or something. So it's it's not that expensive. Yeah. Use your Google Play credits for it. <laughs> oh, I, I have some too. So <laughs> there you go. On that high note, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah. Follow us on the socials at GreetingsTAC. Email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669. If you have a story of satanic ritual... Oh, fuck, I fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your experiences of the 80s satanic panic. Were you a part of any satanic rituals? Or were you ever brainwashed to believe that you were? Yeah, there you go. Accused. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I dropped something. (laughs) 